0: You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by Emprise Bank. Coming up, the latest episode of 3Maw. All right, welcome back into another edition of 3Maw. I am John Kurtz. Joined, as always, by Cole Manbeck, former b writer for the Manhattan Mercury, Derek Young from K-State Online. And uh, we were talking about K-State 1-0 in the Big 12, 77-52. They crush UCF in the Big 12 opener at Bramlage Coliseum, probably the easiest Big 12 game of the season. But man, K-State took no time in jumping out, scoring the first 12 points of the game and absolutely rolling UCF. And that calls for a nice toast. Make sure that you've got your 360 Vodka or your Ben Holiday Bottled and Bond Bourbon. I anticipate that you are holding it up in the air right now to toast the cats on a 1-0 start to a Big 12 play. If you are a bourbon fan, we've heard lots of rave reviews about Ben Holiday Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Make sure to check it out and 360 Vodka if that is more your speed too. Great way to uh, get your watch parties ready to go for the rest of Big 12 play. Whatever it is that you might be celebrating here in the new year. Uh, appreciate our friends at Holiday Distillery. Great K-State folks who support us, so make sure that you support them. Uh, I think the the best performance of the season, probably, for this team, right? I mean, K-State had two quad one wins at one point this year. I don't... The Bryce Hopkins injury at Providence is going to really hurt that one. Nova, obviously, is up and down. I mean, we'll see how that holds up. But So there have been better wins, quote-unquote, over better teams, but in terms of how well K-State has played this was about as complete as they have looked the entire year and uh, led by finally getting the shooting out of Tyler Perry that I think we all expected this year that he would be able to deliver things like that, but just more energy, more energy. And I don't, maybe the place to start Derek is like, we've talked about this a little bit, but this team seems to have a lot of like playing up or down to the opponent in them. And with big 12 play there and a fired up crowd and just, you know, everybody kind of flipping the switch to like, all right, it's conference play, man and the best conference in America. You can't, you can't be bringing out the effort that they did in so many of those bye games at home throughout the non-conference schedule. They they certainly responded because it looked like a really energized, fired-up team that was much, much sharper than we've seen most of this year.
1: Yeah, in terms of a consistent 100% effort and attention to detail start to finish, you'd be hard-pressed to find a better performance. Now, I think in terms of the game where they had the best level of toughness and grit. I would have called that the, probably the win over Providence. In terms of uh, probably everything clicking, maybe, and and having the quality of win behind it, I probably would go Villanova. Uh, the only game in terms of the, the effort in energy level that we're discussing here, in, in association with this perhaps being their best performance start to finish, um, that being the UCF game, the LSU game in Baton Rouge was close, I think. So yeah. the, the, those two, I think, are along the same lines. And and not to look past this quality of win, because there's a lot of good things that we saw that we probably should identify. But more than anything, and I'm probably thinking a little too big picture already, is that because you saw what you might get from a intensity and effort level and energy level from this team start to finish in Big 12 play. Not to diminish the next two opponents, especially since they are on the road, but there is a conceivable path, and some of it is fortunate scheduling on the Kansas State behalf in terms of the Big 12 play. That 4-1 and is on the table for this team if they do what they did against UCF for the next two weeks. Like I said, not to diminish, West Virginia and Texas Tech are solid teams West Virginia's had some bright moments. Last weekend was not it when they got blown out by Houston. Texas Tech just beat Texas, I think, on the road. So obviously that's going to be a tough game regardless. But um, just from a realistic and winnable standpoint, I think that one is still on the chart for Kansas State. Now Baylor, uh, probably regardless of location, is going to be tough to pull off. But after Baylor, is Oklahoma State at home. And that's kind of like UCF at this point where – that's a game you have to have. Uh, you have to win on your schedule. So you probably feel good about three and two on this uh, section of five games. But I think four and one is more than practical.
2: I feel better about beating Baylor at home than winning at Tech. Tech I mean, the, the energy at Tech is going to be at a high after the win at Texas. They're twelve and two now. That team's really coming together. I watched that game against Texas. Yeah, they're, they they look like they're really developing a cohesion there.
1: I. Will, the only thing I would say is. They're due for a bit of a letdown. I don't know when it's going to come, but that's probably – they're due for that. Like, you remember Kansas State was cooking last year, lost the home to Texas. Um, after a win, it kind of feels similar to that. On the other side, I agree with you on Baylor just because Kansas State is so good when their crowd is juiced up this year. Um, but they play different. But I I look ahead to that game, it's going to be minus like 10 degrees, and I worry about the crowd coming out for that.
2: Well, that'll be what? I mean, that students will have just gotten back for the Baylor game on January sixteenth. And um the only reason I say that, DY, is because I just watched Baylor go to overtime at Oklahoma State, right? We, so yeah. So yeah. I, I, I am yeah. yeah. so I'm just a, you know, Baylor on the road in a tough environment. It'll you know, K State will play up to it. So yeah. Um of course you know Scott Drew would like to beat Jerome Tang too, right? I mean Jerome,
1: Jerome Tang and Dream Dowling, if there's two coaches that know Grant McCaslin well enough, it's those two.
2: Yeah. Anyways.
0: Well, look, Cole. By the way, I watched the entire Texas Tech Texas game and, and came away really impressed. Now, I guess the one thing you could say is I, not to get into the pop Isaac's thing too far down that road, but if something were to happen to him, I mean that that throws a pretty big wrench in it because he's, I mean, he was there playing and he was playing well. Uh, so, I mean, the other thing is, you know, we could have another conversation that is this. Like Joe Toussaint looks looks real good, real good uh, for Texas Tech and. Would definitely help out in case they basically had the opportunity and passed. Uh, Tang sounded like didn't want to to pay what he was asking for, what he was going to get from Texas Tech. So I mean, look, I digress. But yes, I mean the the outlook has changed significantly. But I guess the it's a fair point to come back and say, like, hey guys, I mean, it was UCF. I mean, UCF's not very good. I know the record was like okay, what, nine and three coming into the game, but I I think it was on Patreon the other day, DUI. We were like going through their schedule and like looking at who the wins actually were against it's like, I mean, basically nobody. Uh, UCF looked very outmatched all across the board. Um, so that, to me, is why I think you you look more at, like, how did it happen? What can you take from that? And to me, that that really starts with, like, I thought the most encouraging thing about the game was was Tyler Perry, especially paired with what we heard after the game where he talked about how difficult it was for him there for a while, like, acknowledged that it had been a really difficult stretch. He was shooting 30% from three. Uh, going into the game, and I think we expected him to be like a forty percent three point shooter. That's what he was billed as. Jerome Tang called him the best shooter in the country. And there was also the the nod to like him being motivated by some of what he had seen on social media about him. And it's like, hey, whatever it takes, man. But if that if that's going to produce six of eleven from downtown every night, I, maybe we need to fire up some more tweets. Like somebody, I somebody makes some some burners and get out there and start talking about Tyler Perry if it's going to do this. Every single night, but the the biggest thing is just it, he he had the confidence, man. Like he had the confidence to just let it fly. Like it's so true that when he hesitates for even like a second, like there were there are times where he will catch it, be open, and like hesitate for a second and then decide to put it up. It throws the whole thing off. He's got to just he's got such a quick trigger. He's got to be a guy that just gets the ball and lets it fly. And I'm I'm cool if he's missing open shots. He just he needs to shoot, man. He's been too unselfish too often. Uh, this year and there was a moment even in that game where there was a three we were all texting about it there's a moment where he passed up an open one and we're all just like dude you Tyler you gotta shoot that man for this team to be good you gotta shoot that because you gotta be hunting your shot and hitting threes and then after that it was like a switch flip and he was like okay you're right I've got to be shooting these and he started shooting everything and he started making everything so I don't know my my hope is that's not some aberration and the fact that we saw him go no hesitation on open threes is, is something that has clicked now for the rest of the year.
1: I'm going to say it's the law of averages, not aberration that he's going to be lights out, you know, for a little bit here to, to kind of, um, overcome make up for, for the start, because those things typically have a way of even themselves out.
2: When he passed up that open three early in the second half, Johnny, he, he then hit five threes in a row right after that. And, uh, the guy sitting next to me where I was sitting when he passed that open three, he's like, Why didn't he take that open three? It's like he's gotta shoot the ball with confidence and and then he hit five in a row right after that and, and just started letting it fly. And you could see the confidence soar. Um, you know, I he ends up six at eleven for three during the game, but that's I mean, I wouldn't take a lot from that number. He was he was better than that. He had to force like three up with the shot clock expiring late in the game that were really, really difficult shots, but he had arguably his best game, 25 points. Somebody uh, what now, 13 on our Patreon page, John. I don't know if you saw it or you? what but he predicted going into the game Tyler Perry's going to get hot from three and score 25 on, against UCF and, uh, and he did. He scored 25 right on the dot and uh, Kansas State pulls out um a really dominant victory I mean you guys mentioned it UCF they were 328th in the country in non-con strength of schedule according to Ken Palm so they had not played much they did take a 13-0 Ole Miss team down to the wire and lost by two in Orlando now Ole Miss still is like 84th in Ken Palm because they played such a weak schedule but nearly knocked off the Rebels in that matchup UCF came into the K-State game 71st and Ken Palm they were in the top I think 75 in the NCAA net rankings as well. And uh, K-State dominated Look, I mean, look, K-State was only four and a half point favorites going into this game. So while well, what we say about UCF, no, they're not an NCAA tournament team. But it's a team that is at least, respect- they're better than Chicago State, right? I mean, they're better than North Alabama. Yeah. Some of these teams that K-State had struggled with, K-State comes out and blitzes them. And you mentioned it during the game, and I had thought the same exact thought. K-State needed a dominant victory, not only, you know, just for confidence and it was really comforting to watch them blow somebody out, but for the metrics. You know, winning that game in the fashion that they did boosted K-State's analytics and metrics and the offensive, defensive efficiency numbers and Ken Palm rankings. They moved, I think what? They were um where are they at now in Ken Palm? They jumped 75th. Now they're 61st as of today after that game. So they're 14
1: small. And they were still, at one point, they had jumped almost 20 spots in Kempom. I think it evened it out a little
2: bit. Yeah, and and then in the net rankings, they had jumped 17 spots from 94 to 77 with that victory. And so when you blow out teams like that, it really helps your metrics. And so K-State did that. I mean, you just look at LSU on K-State's non-con resume. You talked about it, D.Y. They went on the road. They were 131st in the net rankings. They were on the hinge of a quad two victory for Kansas State going into Saturday. They go on the road and beat Texas A&M by 15 points, who was 25th in the net, 23rd in Ken Palm. LSU jumped 35 spots from 131 to 96 in the NCAA net rankings. They are going to secure a quad two win for Kansas State at worst with Jalen Cook back at guard now. There is a possibility LSU gets hot and they get in that top 75 of the net eventually and become a quad one win for K-State.
0: Well I like that. I like that. You were you were texting about that and I thought like, hey man, that's 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 a positive. I mean, the non con mate age better than we actually thought it was and like that's kinda to the point that we've said about this team the whole time and why this win feels pretty good because like as as rough as it's been, and there have been many moments, you know, when you're in overtime with Oral Roberts or North Alabama, whoever the hell it is, there've been many moments where you're like, dude, this team just you know Naquan Tomlin's not coming back. Now we have the Quez Glover injury. This, this thing is going nowhere. But they have still put themselves in perfect position to be a tournament team. I mean, that's absolutely out there, 1,000% for them. And so they've they've treaded water enough to be here at a point where they can elevate themselves. And this was this was an early sign, at least, of elevating themselves.
1: The only thing I will say is uh, a couple of things. One, UCF, I, I watched the game. It was only the first or second week of the season. UCF kind of hung out with Miami, for the most part, too, uh, for a little bit. LSU, I agree. There's an outside shot there of them maybe hopping into the top 75, especially with Jalen Cook. He's really good. But I, the SEC's a lot better too. So I gotta probably watch there because what you got Auburn, uh, Kentucky. You know, if Ole Miss is real, Ole Miss. You know, Alabama. Uh, Arkansas t- sucks though. Tennessee. Arkansas is really brutal right now. Mizzou sucks right now. By the way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, shocker. I mean, Dennis, I I should be careful, I guess, because we're seeing a (laughs) Trump regression a little bit here. But uh, I'm shocked that a Dennis Gates regression was coming. I'm I'm absolutely shocked by that. Um, I'm not shocked by the quality of home field apparel because every time I wear it, it is great. It looks awesome. It is very comfortable. It is what all of the kids are wearing these days. And if you're going to be at the Baylor game on the 16th, we need to see in some home field apparel. At Bramlage Coliseum. Uh, so make sure you go to homefieldapparel.com and get stocked up. Uh, you can choose from over 40-plus options that they have, uh, K-State gear, lots of great old logos. I love the old cat script basketball logo, which is obviously perfect right now for hoop season. So make sure you head over there and use promo code 3MAW23 for 15% off your first order. Or even hooking you up with 15% off your first order using promo code 3 maw 23. So check it out, homefieldapparel.com. You can also look through 100 plus other schools that they have up there. It is great. It's taking over the college sports world. uh Everybody is doing it. ESPN analysts, I was just seeing like Mina Kimes rocking her Washington uh, homefield apparel gear. So uh everybody is on top of this, people. Make sure that you are with the trends. And we are back in just a moment. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app, find it on the App Store
3: or Google Play.
2: Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer.
0: Alright, what else stands out to you as, as positives here in this game? I mean, if you're looking through the box score, like Will McNair gives you 11 and 6, he was 5 of 7 from the floor, pretty nice performance from him. You know, David Gasson continues to struggle from the floor, but the, he pulled down 14 rebounds. Uh, you you got to give him credit for doing that. Arthur Kaluma, you know 3 of 9 shooting but 14 and 6. Kim Carter, not his best scoring night, but he had 6 assists, two turnovers. Uh wh- where do you guys go next with the the positives?
1: I'll probably point out David Gasson because he gets a lot of flack for being very, I will say, very, very limited on the offensive end, especially now that he's probably asked to kind of get out of his comfort zone and do some things that he's not necessarily great at doing uh, when playing the four next to Will McNear at the five. That's why when there's stretches during the game where he is solid on the offensive end, it's because they have three guards in there and he's playing the five because Arthur Kaluma's is at the four. And something that goes overlooked because, you know, offense is sexy and everyone really only pays attention to that. And and it's hard to really point out defensive greatness, especially when a lot of it is done off the ball or how you defend a pick and roll and not necessarily getting a steal or a block. But for my money, Dave Gasson is one of the best defenders in the Big Twelve, and it's probably not close. And in fact, he's probably he was a good defender last year. He's probably 10 times the defender he was last year because now he's become a great rebounder, as you alluded to. 14 rebounds yesterday, um, or that was Saturday, sorry. And I mean, this team in general is rebounding the ball pretty well, especially in the offensive glass, where I believe they're number one in the Big 12 at the moment. But David Gasson can guard essentially one through five, um, switch everything, play, defend and pick and roll beautifully. Get the rebound. He's doing everything that you're asking of him in a very unsung way, while at the same time he's probably become everybody's whipping boy because he struggled on the offensive end. So some of that, if you're going to slam David Gasson offensively, you better be praising him for defensively because Kansas State has also probably been one of the best defensive teams in the Big 12 in the last month. They were exceptional on Saturday against UCF. A lot of that is David Gasson, and people are probably – Necessarily putting enough attention on that. Cam Carter, the same way. uh, What he's doing the most right now for Kansas State is being their best perimeter defender, especially on the ball and still doing enough offensively uh, because they need another, they need a third score, right? And it has to be Cam Carter, you know, along with Perry and Kaluma. So I think Kansas State, say what you will, Kansas State needs Tyler Perry to shoot it. When he's shooting like that, they're tough to beat, but they, aren't nearly what they can be, and they wouldn't be where they are even right now, even amidst the struggles, without Cam Carter and David Gasson.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, David Gasson, I tweeted this out after the game on Saturday. David Gasson's now third in the Big 12 in rebounds per game at 8.6 through 14 games. As you mentioned at DY, he's a terrific defender. He can guard and he can switch one through five. He's versatile. That's so incredibly valuable for Kansas State and what they're trying to do on the defensive end of the floor. Uh, He's been terrific on the glass. Arthur Columis, fifth in the Big 12 in rebounding at 8.4 boards per game. So you got two of the top five rebounders per game in this league so far. K-State is actually 14th in the country in offensive rebounding percentage at 36% on the season. They're 49th in the country in rebounding rate. They've gotten better on the glass this year. So that's been a key thing. And then you mentioned a DY on the defensive end of the floor. They're jumping up in the analytics and Ken Palm's defensive metrics. And if you look at it, I mean, 60 points allowed to LSU, 62 to Nebraska. It was just an offensive thing with Nebraska. It's not like they were bad defensively in that game. 60 to Wichita State, and then 55 to Chicago State, and 52 to UCF. So the most points scored against them over the last five games was 62 points against Nebraska, and I think Nebraska shot 36 37% from the floor overall.
1: I I believe at one time their defensive efficiency, it wasn't that long ago. It it was probably about a month ago, like halfway through the non-con, was in the 100s. I believe it's kind of peaked into the top 40.
0: Yeah, I think they're, uh, they're actually pretty, uh, pretty third on Kempom.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. And that's exactly Cause literally, like, I think through their like first seven games or so, it was like 121. Uh, you know, one of the, uh,
2: one of the things that they're, um, they're doing really well as well. And I was looking this up for the West Virginia matchup on Tuesday night in Morgantown, but, You know, because West Virginia is typically good at getting to the free throw line and West Virginia typically also fouls you a lot. And so I was looking up the opponent free throws attempted per offensive play based off percentage. And West Virginia is sixth in the country at 17.4% of opponent free throws attempted per offensive play. K-State is tied with them at sixth in the country. So K-State's done a really nice job of not putting their opponents on the foul line defensively as well this year. They're playing defense without fouling. um, And so they've been really good on the defensive end of and, the floor.
1: And they're getting to the free throw line. I think uh, Jerome Tang mentioned this in his post-game press conference, and I think Tom Gilbert, uh, the SID, did confirm it. I think Kansas State has made more free throws than their opponents have even attempted this year.
2: Well, let's just uh, let's just check out this free throws attempted per 100 possessions. K-State's 47th in the country
1: at that. Um, it's like it's 10, mean, 230 or something like that. They've made more than they've allowed attempts. Yeah.
2: Yeah,
1: uh, Cam Carter, you
2: mentioned it, John. Uh, While well, I think he had, what, 12 points, but he had the six assists. He had three blocks as well. You know, he was really right. good. Once again, on the. he made a heck of a block where he slapped the ball up against the backboard and transitioned for UCF. Uh, you guys talked about it, but on the defensive end of the floor, specific to the UCF game, K-State holds them to 34% from the floor. But they actually, UCF at one point, was 14 of 53 from the floor, uh, 26%. The final 10 minutes of the game, when the game was out of control, K-State was up by 35, UCF went 8 of 12 from the floor. The rest of the way, to boost their shooting numbers a little bit, they held UCF's top three scorers to a combined 8 of 30 from the floor. Um, Jalen, I think it was what, Jalen Summers uh, was their leading scorer at almost 19 points per game. Jalen Sellers, I'm sorry. Uh, He was averaging almost 19 per game. He only scores 8 on 3 of 13 shooting. A really good defensive effort by Kansas State, and you guys mentioned it. You could just tell they were energized from the start. They blitzed UCF early on in that game and sent a message and then frustrated the Knights uh, throughout the rest of that contest. So really nice to see. It was really refreshing just to have a laid back, be able to sit there and uh, watch and relax, and no case they had it in hand. The one thing I thought, John and D.Y., that was most interesting, though, was just the rotation of the bench and the minutes. <laughs> so I think that's something that stood out to me. Maybe we well. should hit on
0: yeah, you had to bring us to that. I mean, I was going to get there because I know that that's the one piece of it that's maybe – I guess you could debate whether or not it's negative. To me, it does feel a little bit negative. I, I wanted to throw this question out there first, though. Like, is Cam Carter a dude? Are we at the point where, where Cam Carter is a dude? How do you How I, do you classify that?
1: I, I think he's – I mean, he's average of what, 16, 17 points a game. It's hard to say he's not.
2: Yeah, I I think so. I mean, when you when you look at like the complete Especially portfolio.
1: rimmer defender too on top of that.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the one the one thing with me that I still would like to see from him is a, that three point percentage go up a little bit. But
2: what's he yeah. at thirty one? Is he at around thirty one right now?
0: It was it was around thirty before the game. I can let me go look it up real quick.
2: Yeah. No, and I think he went two a six in the game from three. Yeah. You know, if you can get Cam to around thirty five percent from three, uh, that would be that would be great. Um. He is currently 29% from three. Oh, yeah, it's got it. We got to get that, you know, because last year alone, he was 33% from three. So, yeah. you know, he, he and we saw moments last year where he caught fire from beyond the arc in a few games. I look back at that game at Texas, a um, couple other games. Heck, he made, he made a couple against Michigan State, I think, in the NCAA tournament, one in a really big moment where he just caught it and shot it. Um, and the other thing I would say, John, that stood out, I, I thought, I thought Dorian Finister showed a couple flashes, at least at the rim. Like he he showed the ability, he showed his uh, some athleticism, to be able to really finish at the rim. He caught that one uh, in transition for the alley oop layup. He had another really tough finish um, in traffic where he bodied up against a guy. Like you could you could see some flashes where he's just a redshirt freshman and he's a bigger guard. He's six foot five. You could see as he gets bigger and stronger, and if he could develop an outside shot. He's got the athleticism and the traits probably to be a contributor.
1: I, I don't know that the confidence is there enough yet, or the game is slowed down enough for him yet to be anything on the offensive end, um, as, other than maybe transition. But in terms of defense and hustle, you're getting that from him that you aren't getting from anyone else on the bench.
0: Well, and and that's why he's playing. And this obviously parlays into the discussion. Cole teased a moment ago about the rotation. I mean, they they shut down the rotation to basically seven players. Finister played 18 minutes off the bench. Um, Day-Day Ames played 13 off the bench. And, you know, I mean, look, another tough night for day I 0 for 5, 0 for 3, 1 point. Uh, no assists. Like, you know, I they 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 need more there. But nobody else. I mean, Taj Manning, Michaela Bridge, Morel uh, Colbert, R.J. Jones, like they played the last two minutes of the game. That's it. They didn't get out there on the floor. And... I, it's it's great, Dorian Finister. I mean, I got to give him credit. You guys are right. Like there there have been moments this year where I thought he's he's not a high major player, but he he does give effort and he had some nice flashes and nice moments there. I I do still I wonder what the long term prognosis is of that. If if they're not going to get what they need out of R J Jones to feel like they can put him up on the floor, I don't know. I don't know if that like you guys feel confident about that seven man rotation like just Day Day and Dorian Finister off the bench. Holding up throughout Big 12 play. I mean, it's a good thing to, to shorten your rotation because, I mean, a lot of these weird lineups that they had had and guys that aren't giving out, like there have been problems throughout the year. So you kind of have to do it at this time. But it's, it's not great, man. I mean, you still see flashes of what everybody can do. We know RJ can shoot, which we're sitting here talking about the guards and shooting ability. They could certainly use that. Um, they can use the offense that RJ can bring to the table, Michael Caleb rich, every time he gets on the floor, the guy's doing something crazy, which he has the, the alley, you put the end of the game, which was the best highlight of the entire night. Um, and you know, Jarrell Colbert's obviously got a lot of length and size that he could help you out inside. But anyway, it just, it just feels like, um, that is still very much in flux. What is going to happen with those guys, with Jerome Tang sending a message with the, the playing time.
1: You know, I don't even know if it's setting a message as much as you can't reward guys not playing hard enough in practice or not being mature enough. You can't reward that because of the precedent it sets. You need to reward the guys that are putting forth the appropriate amount of effort, preparation, and hard work because that's what you want your program to be founded upon. And if you let one guy get away with it and play him anyway, then everyone else is like, oh, okay, I can't work as hard because – if I'm still good enough, I'm going to play anyway. So that's what we're getting into. So some of those guys just have to see why Dorian Finister is playing and then mimic that behavior. And maybe some of those things will correct itself in that way. But you can't reward someone not taking practice as, um, you know, I, I don't know if it's seriously enough is the word, but you you got to play hard in practice. you got to you got to prepare hard. You and, and for some of the freshmen, I mean, that's common. You don't get to college and sometimes, especially where, where some of these kids come from, and understand how much work and how much is asked of you just to be able to be a college basketball player. I mean, it's a shock to the system in many ways. So there is a an adjustment process and a transition process. For someone older, that's a little more disappointing, I would say. But another thing Jerome Tang said, in, in an ideal world, he would like his rotation to be eight players. It's, you know, Saturday was seven. So really, he's okay if it's just one more than that. To your question, can they ride and get through Big 12 play with just seven with some of the maybe offensive limitations that you're going to have when you're playing guys like David Gasson and, and Dorian and Finister? Probably not. But I don't know that R.J. Jones, Taj, Mang, Colbert, or Mikhail Rich has given you that much. Yes, we see the flashes from Mikael Bridge every time he gets on the floor, but you also, people also don't see some of the flaws when he's on the floor, too. You know, the defensive stuff, right? Because defense matters and hustling matters. And if you don't, as a coach, if you don't reward that or punish that, if it's not going the right way, then you're not going to get what you want out of everyone else on your roster because they're watching everything. I well to,
0: to me to me it's uh, I see if you agree that to me it's RJ they need RJ Jones to get his bleep together because they they need that shooting ability they need somebody who can shoot and score the ball like I he he's the run out of that whole group that I you know I mean Taj Manning it was a nice story the other night he kind of saved them against Chicago State and shout out to him for that Jarrell Colbert you know I mean there are some flashes I was certainly really excited about him when he came in but I they, they they absolutely need they absolutely need RJ and Cole I'm sorry Got a wedge in a DraftKings read. I've got a wedge That's in a DraftKings read for you. Here. Uh, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL playoffs, is bringing you an offer that'll help make the playoffs electrifying. Uh, new customers can bet five bucks on any game and get two hundred instantly in bonus bets. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code KCSN. New customers can bet just five bucks to get two hundred instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code KCSN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem. Call 1 800 Gambler or visit www.1800Gambler.net. Uh, in New York, call 877 8HOPENY or text HopeNY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888 789 777. There might be another seven in there, people. I don't know. It's written out like five times in front of me. Uh, or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Oh, here it is again. It's a sad Monday. I didn't need this on Monday. I'm sorry, Ontario. I hope you guys are having a good start to your week, but unfortunately it's not going to be with DraftKings because it is void in Ontario. So uh condolences to our friends up north. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See DKNG.com slash football for eligibility and deposit restrictions terms and responsible gaming resources. All right, Cole. Am I am I Accurate on R.J. Jones there. If you're going to get one more to make that eight-man rotation, do they need R.J. Jones more than the rest? Yeah, probably. I think R.J.
2: is the guy that gives you the most scoring punch, potentially an outside perimeter threat for a team that, you know, is hovering right around 30, 31% for three on the season. They came into the UCF game, I believe, 287th in the country in three-point percentage this year. They need a lift from the outside. Now, obviously, Tyler Perry getting hot will help with that, but they need other guys that can do it. You know, you look at Dayday. Day, you mentioned it, John. I mean, as I look toward the the future of this season the rest of the way, Dayday Day is gonna be such a critical piece, and he's in a huge slump right now. I don't know if it's confidence or what, but Dayday aims to shooting twenty-seven percent from the floor overall, and he's shooting twenty-three percent from three. He is thirteen of forty-three on twos this year as well, which is thirty percent. That's incredibly low for two point volume. He's gonna be a better finisher. Uh, he's made some really nice passes, but He's in a real slump right now. They got to get him going to give them a lift offensively. But when I look at that bench, I think RJ Jones is probably the guy that needs the biggest wake up call because he's the guy that they need to your point to be able to give them a lift and an offensive spark plug on the perimeter. As I look at the rest of the bench, like I I think Michaela bridge would be another guy that I would really like to see, you know, play more consistently game in and game out. If he brings it in practice, uh, Colbert, it's always felt like it's up and down with Jarell Colbert. Um, so I, I don't know what's going on there. Uh, he hasn't played hardly really in like five five games now. I mean his biggest moment was the North Alabama game when he gave them a big, big flash early in the first or early in the second half to to bring them back into that game when they were down by ten. Um, you know, and then Taj Manning. It, it's interesting because Taj Manning saves him on Tuesday night, and Jerome Tang raved about him so much, but then he doesn't play until the last couple minutes. He doesn't go in the game until with those four guys. And you, you can see Jerome Tang. I don't know if you guys saw it. you see you guys see Jerome Tang? He was really getting into them as they were getting ready to check into the game, the four guys, uh near half court. And, you know, he's sending a message to him. Um, I don't I wasn't like berating them or anything, but you could tell he's really trying to give these guys a spark here and, and lift them up and send a message to them. They need to get out there and play art and uh and prove themselves. So hopefully the wake up call has occurred by now. I, I would have hoped the wake up call occurred. With Jerome Tang's comments on Tuesday night against Chicago State and the Taj Manning and what he said about him, but uh, it was still just a seven-man rotation against UCF. Uh, you need more. They're, they're going to need to find another guy.
0: Yeah, I'm just not sure how how optimistic I am about all of it right now uh, because because you're correct. Like you would have hoped. Well, you said I guess the, I, I hope the wake-up call came on Tuesday. Dude, I would have hoped the wake up call came during the first two months of the season. Like, I mean, you know, I mean, it's we're pretty late in the year. Now, I am again, I'm not saying Jerome Tang's doing the wrong thing. Um, but we're pretty late in the year for these conversations and these storylines to be happening. And some of this is I, again, like a lot of this is there's an added sense of urgency because now Quez Glover's not back. Like how how long throughout in fairness, I'm gonna argue against my own point here, for a good chunk of the year there was still a thought like, Hey, Naquan Tomlin is probably going to be back at some point. And that will lessen some of the stress or need for like a Michaela bridge or a Jarrell Colbert. And then you're like, okay, even after Naquan Tomlin's gone, you're like, all right, look, RJ Jones is struggling to figure it out as a true freshman, you know, Day Ames having some struggles, but Quez Glover is going to come back and they wait. And they were extra patient with it. That's it. It just kills you. They were extra patient, waited an extra couple weeks to get him back. And right when he's on the precipice of coming back, has the meniscus issue again uh in the knee and is is now likely not going to play this year. So there have been things that have changed. Like circumstances have changed, but they've changed. RJ Jones is on scholarship. That was a he was a pretty highly recruited kid. They're gonna have to find some way to get through to him, I think. You know, I mean that's that's just the reality of the situation, or else, you know, they'll 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 struggle. They will they will definitely struggle.
1: The other reality is between Jones, Ames, and Rich, none were thought to be guys that you were going to need fifteen to twenty minutes a night from right? That's not what they were envisioning when they recruited these three kids. So you're you're also pushing them at a quicker timeline than what they're probably ready for.
2: No, I mean, when you look at the guys that they brought in and look who they had coming back, I mean, with Quez Glover and Naquan Tolan thought to be a part of this roster, you're probably thinking Day-Day Ames is a 10-12 minute a game a night guy and maybe R.J. Jones and Rich Redshirt, to be frank. Uh, if, if Naquan Tomlin and Glover play the whole season, because Glover is going to be that other lead guard in addition to Carter and Perry, and then Day-Day will be that fourth guard, and then there's probably not room or playing time for R.J. Jones as well, and then Naquan Tomlin kind of takes the the rest of the minutes from Rich that he's getting, that he has gotten this year. So, yeah, I, I think you're relying more on the freshman than you probably envisioned. I mean, we heard Jerome Tang say before, he likes to redshirt his freshman, and uh, last year they redshirted Jarrell Colbert and uh, redshirted red shirted Taj Manning and and Dorian Finister. So uh this year they're having to throw those three guys in the mix earlier than then maybe they might be ready, but that's just a necessity.
0: Well, and also I we're in the age of the transfer portal and guys wanting playing time and leaving if they don't get it. Like I it's a golden opportunity, man. You're on a team that went to the Elite Eight last year playing in the best conference in the country. You've got you've got the opportunity to get on the floor. Right now, as a freshman, I don't know. I don't, I, I sound kind of preachy and boomery right now saying that, but it, it is, it is true. It's the reality. And you just hope that that would get through to somebody. Like that's, that's an opportunity that is, is not going to be there for uh, for everybody. I don't know. It's just, it's frustrating, man. If you start thinking too far down the line of what this season could have been and what it's actually turned into because of the situations with Tomlin and Clover. And then even we mentioned it briefly earlier, Cole, but like, you know, Joe Toussaint, I mean, I, I think it's fair to say, like they they probably could have had them if they if they wanted. And on paper, getting Quez Glover was a perfectly fair trade-off, especially with, you know, some of the dynamics that are also at play behind the scenes on that. You can't foresee injuries. It is what it is, but you watch Joe Toussaint play. I mean, he's a, a veteran, tough guy who certainly brings effort um and can score and just would be perfect kind of player right now for this team that it would it would be exactly what they need in the backcourt so it, it sucks it does suck to watch that not only you know have to see him out there doing that but seeing it do it in the big 12 you know I mean he lights up Texas yeah. for 15 and he carried Texas Tech in the first half when they were having some struggles and were kind of playing catch-up for a little while there it was absolutely Joe Toussaint that that kept them in that game in the first half.
2: Yeah, I mean, second leading scorer for Texas Tech. He's averaging over 14 per game. He's a, he's, a, he's kind of a junkyard dog type guard, point guard, and, um, uh, he would be a great fit for this team. There's no doubt. I mean, there's a reason that Jerome Tang and the staff jumped all over him the moment he entered the portal, uh, and had him on an official visit to Kansas State, and they thought they had it locked up, and then it became a negotiating thing. And Jerome Tang has said before he doesn't want to engage in, you know, negotiation battles like that or bidding wars and going back and forth. And so he held to his morals and ethics on that. And uh, Joe Toussaint ended up going to Texas Tech. And, you know, he's he's been great for him. There's no question Joe Toussaint would change the dynamics of this team with him playing. He would play more on the ball, Tyler Perry and Cam Carter off the ball. And uh, it would be a lot of fun to watch. You just thought you were probably getting a similar thing with, with Quez Glover as you said, you can't foresee injuries. Wes Glover had really only had one injury in his four-year career, and that was the meniscus last year. It's just terrible luck that he's had back to back here this year, even when they were extra cautious with him that he suffered these knee injuries. And you just hope that he'll have a future in college basketball. Maybe he can get a medical red shirt and he can come back next year and have a healthy season at Kansas State potentially. But you really feel for him and you feel for obviously the coaching staff and everyone, because yeah, if you would have told me, I think going into the season, when K State got Quez Glover and I did a write up on our Patreon page, like I made an argument that Quez Glover was just as good or maybe even a better addition than Joe Toussaint to this roster, if healthy. And unfortunately, he's not healthy. I mean, you look at Quez Glover the last two years, albeit at Sanford, you know, he was a high ranked recruit that went to Florida out of high school. And at Sanford, the last two years, averaged 17 points per game and uh, nearly 47% shooting from the floor. Explosive guard, smaller guard, but explosive. And uh, Joe Tussaud had never averaged double figures in his career. The difference being, obviously, he's been at the power five level all four years. So, different competition level, but just it's bad luck. You you know, obviously, right now, you would kill for either a healthy Quez Glover or uh, Joe Tussaud on this K State roster, and, and things would look differently.
0: And it's anecdotal, but I go back to the other night. Was it the Chicago State game when Ben Boyle said on the broadcast that he he watched practice at one point at the beginning of the year and he walked away thinking, man, Quez Glover looked like the best player on the floor. So you yeah, know, I it's it's twisting the knife, but it is what it is. I mean, we certainly wish him the best. Hope he recovers, and I hope I, I hope he's able to turn it around and play next year. That yeah, that would be great. They're gonna have to find some answers uh this year. Now they're about to head to West Virginia. Which Ken Palm gives them a 61 percent chance of winning the game predicts a 69 66 score. It, it is a road game. I'll I'll be honest. What is going on with West Virginia after like the Raquan Battle stuff? And they had a couple of guys that they got back right. The only thing I know about yeah. that is I I saw that there was a stat like Raquan Battle had like I don't know like 82 points and one assist since coming back or something, which is like just so on brand for what we kind of knew that, <laughs> that that he was a guy that K State saw last year in the NCAA tournament for Montana State. I don't know. what it, Cole, what's what's the current state of West Virginia basketball right now?
2: Uh, well, I, I was just looking up Raekwon's uh, assist numbers. Get this, John. Raekwon has never averaged one assist or more per game in his five years of college basketball. <laughs> oh, uh My That God. is uh, a hired gun. He's out there to do one thing. That That is an impressive number. for He has played in, uh, gosh, how many games? He's played in 108 games. And uh, 76 assists in his career in 108 games. Uh, So, yeah, he's uh, not looking to distribute the basketball necessarily. He's a high-volume shooter. In fact, if you look at what he's doing at West Virginia right now, John, 16.3 field goal attempts per game. So he is out there chucking it. And uh, he's getting to the free throw line at a decent chunk. That's something K-State has to be cognizant of, averaging almost eight free throw attempts per game, shooting 77% from the foul line. He leads them in scoring. At 21 and a half points per game. Uh, he's only played in four games because West Virginia got those slew of guys back after the NCAA got overturned on the transfer rule. They have a bunch of guys that are two time transfers or more on their roster. So they got several guys back as a result of that. And then they also got Kirk Crease, the Arizona transfer guard, um, back after a nine game suspension issued by the NCAA. So he's back. He's played in a handful of games now. As well, but they lost Jesse Edwards, who was one. It was maybe the most sought-after big man in the entire transfer portal, including K-State having interest there. Syracuse transfer, you know, averaging almost 15 points and nine rebounds per game in his first 10 games this year. He broke his wrist and uh, was in a cast starting on December 20th. Expected to miss about four weeks. I just saw an update that he's getting the cast taken off any day now, but he will not play against Kansas State on Tuesday night. That's a huge loss for them. But their profile is hard to figure out only because they, you know, it's hard to understand what their roster really looks like and their numbers because they've had so many guys, you know, go up and down from playing to not playing. They've only had seven guys play in 10 or more of their games. So I don't know. I mean, they're 135th in in Ken Palm, I believe, 134th in Ken Palm. They're uh, 175th, I believe, in the NCAA net rankings. They did play the 93rd ranked non-con strength the schedule. According to Ken Palm, K-State was 140th. They lost by six to St. John's about a month ago. St. John's just went on the road to beat Villanova. They're number 38 And Ken Palm. They played Pittsburgh. They lost that game, a rivalry battle. They lost to Monmouth and Radford. They've got two quad four losses. They're two and two in quad four games. 0 oh and seven in quad one and quad two games. They're five and nine as a team. And uh, I don't know. I mean, they they took Ohio State to overtime and lost by three in Ohio State's 36th in Ken Palm, and they did that on December 30th. So I think it's going to be an extremely challenging game, regardless of the fact that West Virginia just got smoked at Houston, 89 to 55. They they ran into a buzzsaw there. I think sure. they're still going to come out and play hard against K-State, and K-State's had a tough, tough time winning in Morgantown over the years.
1: They're They're an island of misfit toys that have no chemistry cohesion because of the uncertainty on the transfer status as many couple injuries a suspension but there is enough doubt there for a team to be dangerous they just don't know how to play with one another because they've never had the opportunity to do so and that is always exacerbated on the road especially when you're on the road against the number one team in the country at home that becomes a little bit less of an issue
2: yeah now i don't i don't expect there to be much of an energy in that arena obviously students still on the the holiday break and uh they're five and nine and it's
1: not not every school is still on holiday break by
2: the way yeah well Well, regardless I, i i would expect low energy but uh from the fans at least but i i can see like you mentioned i mean they got guys that can get hot raekwon battle kirk risa in his career has had moments where he's gotten hot um I already told you battles numbers. Kirk Creasa, since he got back from his nine-game suspension, he's played in five games. He's averaging 9.4 points per game on 38% shooting from the floor, but he's averaging nearly six assists per game to 2.8 turnovers, shooting 37.5% from three. In his career, out of his 661 field goal attempts, 535 have came from three, 81%. So he's going to look to chuck it from deep. Uh... 81% 81% of his career field goal attempts from beyond the arc and four years of college basketball. This year alone, 32 of his 39 attempts from the floor have come from beyond the arc. So he's going to look to shoot from three. You got to stay glued to him so he doesn't get hot from there. Quinn Slezinski, six foot nine forward, who's actually played in all 14 of West Virginia's games. Another multi year transfer, though. He started his career two years at Louisville, then went to Iona, played for Rick Patino for the last two years. Came into West Virginia. He's averaging nearly 15 points per game, but under 40% from the floor. Um, Fifth season of college basketball. He's attempted 74 threes on the season, but only shooting just under 30%, attempting over five threes per game. Takes a lot of shots, nearly 13 field goal attempts per game. And then uh, Noah Farrakhan, I'm probably mispronouncing this game. I'm sorry, West Virginia fans. I should have double-checked the pronunciation. But another guard they just got back due to the NCAA overturn of the rule, a multi-transfer player, started his career at East Carolina, then went to Eastern Michigan. He's played in five games, shooting nearly 12 field goal attempts per game, but he's making 50% from the floor and 36% from three, more than 14 points per game. West Virginia as a team is shooting 29% from three on the season. That ranks 317th in the country. And as a uh, team from overall field goal percentage, they're 302nd in the country in field goal percentage offense. Defensively, 86 nationally, holding teams to under 42% from the floor. Uh, Head coach, Josh Eilert, interim coach after the mess with Bob Huggins this offseason. Josh Eilert, obviously, former K-State men's basketball walk-in, native of Kansas. I believe Osborne. Is that right, John? And... uh, it's been a it's just a it's a struggle. Like you, you feel for West Virginia fans a little bit for what they've had to go through. They thought they were gonna have a really good team with the transfer portal. They had to go through the Huggins mess then, then the NCAA transfer rules and all of that, then a nine game suspension thrown at him. Now Jesse Edwards, who was playing really well for him, you know, breaks his wrist. So I don't know. I, I still think, I mean, Ken Palm has it 69, 66, K-State. I think that's right. I think it'll be like the the spread, which isn't out yet, but I think it'll be like K State by one and a half two, and it'll be a tight game. And if K State gets out of there with a the win, I'll be thrilled. I'll be thrilled if K State oh, goes one on one over the next two road games. You know, if you if you split between Tech and West Virginia, I'm happy. It's hard to win on the road,
0: regardless of what the other team's record is, especially in this league. Hundred percent. Oh man, I would take and run sprint out of there with one and one on on these next two on the road. But by, by the way, two observations here. One. One of the weirdest things to look at, West Virginia's Ken Palm profile, do you see the darkest red on that, Cole? What the Uh, thing is that they are are worst at, according to Ken Palm? I I do not. Because because it is the thing that you would think under a Bob Huggins team they would be like, best at. It's rebounding, right? Um, Nope. Steel percentage. Steel percentage. They are like, they're 357th in the country. Well, there's only 363 teams. So. defensive steal percentage, they were 357th. Like you think of them as being the pesky can get get after you and get in your shorts, but uh that that is not what this West Virginia team is. The other thing, like I do feel for Josh Eiler, and I was just gonna say I just have a little story about it. He's a he's a really nice guy. I, I will never forget um t- 2012. So not nah, when did when did Huggins get there? It wouldn't have been too terribly long before I guess he was there in 2010 when they went to the Final Four. But 2012, it was our first trip to Morgantown for for PowerCat Game Day doing uh the pregame show. And so Walters and I were out there in Morgantown and he had just like texted or something with Josh Eiler, And Josh I was like, yeah, man, I'll show you around. And he like took us through everything, man. We got like a behind the scenes look at like all of West Virginia's facilities, like literally everything. It was super cool. Uh so I always appreciated him for that. He's a good dude. Shout good out, dude. shout out to uh
2: to Josh Eiler, and uh hopefully he gets things figured out after Kansas State plays them. On Tuesday, and you're right, John, I mean, I just looked at, look, first of all, look at you looking at the advanced analytics and numbers there, Uh, impressive. And uh, if you look at, like, just turn opponent turnovers per offensive play, 346 out of 362 teams at 13.4% as well. So you're right. I, I hadn't even caught that. They do not turn you over. And uh, the other thing that they're not great at is rebounding, which is another trademark of what Bob Huggins' teams was, right? I mean, I mentioned earlier K-State, 49th in the country now in rebounding rate overall, 14th in offensive rebounding percentage. West Virginia is uh, 237th nationally at defensive rebounding percentage and 210th in the country at offensive rebounding percentage at 26%. So not going to not gonna turn you over. They're not a great rebounding team. They've shot it terribly from three. Hopefully they don't uh, find that fire and hit like 12 or 13 threes and have their breakout game against Kansas yeah. State.
0: Yeah, that's what scares you. I mean, they've got that potential with those guys that they have on their roster. They can be pretty volatile one way or the other. Okay, if you want some post-game uh, reaction instantly to K-State and West Virginia, make sure you're signed up at uh, patreon.com slash 3 Our Patreon members will get access to that. Also, if you're wondering about uh, Transfer Portal and football, because there's a lot going on there, Sounds very likely that we're going to have some updates on that on the Patreon page throughout the week uh, in, in audio format, patreon.com slash three mod to get signed up there just five bucks a month. Um, but also even beyond that, if you want like minute by minute updates, uh, we've been all over the, uh, the discord, which you get as a part of the Patreon membership. So basically just like a big group chat where you can see uh, updates as they are coming in there. So patreon.com slash three mod to get signed up for all of that. Anybody have any any closing thoughts? Anything else you want to get out there? God, That's sure. a note from DY Cole. I got. I don't have anything right now. So how's 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 Brody feeling about the season right now?
1: I think he's
2: doing all right. He, he misses Marquise a great deal. So we were watching the NCAA tournament game from a couple weeks ago, a replay of it, and uh, he wanted to turn it off because it made him sad. Yeah, watching Marquise and seeing all the great things he did. So. Uh still loves watching the games and going to the games, but uh last year was a special ride and
0: he misses some of those dudes. I get it. I do too. Yeah. It's no yeah. yeah. So I don't don't have him watch any Memphis games either. Uh although I realize Tomman wasn't great yesterday, but oh uh, you fouled out. <laughs> yeah, you know, only had two points, fouled out.
2: Um, so I'm sure uh I'm sure the president of Kansas State toasted a glass of champagne to that one yesterday. So so yeah, that. maybe a glass of maybe a glass of three sixty vodka or a Ben Holiday bottled in on bourbon. We and don't so. we don't supply him with that. So yeah. well, if he's speaking, if he's speaking a he's he's speaking of bad for the brand, so, so. <laughs> yeah.
0: he's a smart man. That's what he would be doing because we appreciate Holiday Distillery, uh, we appreciate our friends at Homefield Apparel as well as DraftKings, and uh, thanks to Nick Springer behind the scenes for all of his work. As always, thanks for listening to another Three Ma for Derek Young and Cole Bambeck. I am John Kurtz. We will talk to you all soon. Thank you for listening to KC Sports Network. We appreciate your support. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard. You can find all six of our channels covering the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current, plus KU, K-State, or Mizzou by searching KCSN wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Entertain. Educate. Inform.